Welcome to The Open Bell, a podcast for trumpet players by trumpet players and a cornet guy. I'm your host, Bill Stoneman, and I'm joined by my good friends and fellow trumpet geeks, Joey Tartell and the timid taskmaster, Brian Appleby Weinberg. This episode of The Open Bell is brought to you by the World Trumpet Federation, an organization that was born to serve trumpeters in meaningful ways each and every day. We get to the heart of the matter, the important truths about trumpet, teaching, equipment, and a whole bunch of other distractions. The World Trumpet Federation is your home away from home when it comes to trumpet goodness. Make some time during a practice break to stop by worldtrumpetfederation.com and check us out. And by the Messiah University Trumpet Studio. If you're the kind of player that wants to study trumpet within the context of a well-rounded musical experience, blended with the strength of liberal arts education, then Messiah University may be the place for you. Housed in the incredible Calvin and Janet High Center for the Performing Arts, Messiah University Department of Music is home to a variety of ensembles that trumpet players need to succeed. Orchestra, wind bands, brass choir, brass chamber music, jazz ensembles, and of course the Messiah University Trumpet Ensemble that has been honored with appearances at the Pennsylvania Music Educators Association Conference, International Trumpet Guild Conference, and the National Trumpet Competition. The studio has also been represented internationally by fine soloists who have advanced in a variety of competitions. If you want to know more about trumpet study at Messiah University, come take a free lesson with me, check out the program, meet the students, and see what we have to offer. You can email me directly at wstoman at messiah.edu. That's W-S-T-O-W-M-A-N at messiah.edu. The Open Bell Podcast is comprised of three segments, warming up, a couple things, and no offense. We use these segments to tap, test, and try information that we believe is tempting to tumultuous trumpet types. Gentlemen, shall we? Each week, warming up is brought to you by Chop Saber, that perfect all-natural lip treatment created by the one and only Dandy Dan Gosling. So go on over to ChopSaber.com and order yours today. And while you're at it, order some for your friends. You know, if you have any. Oh, hey, Brian. <laughs> <laughs> what do you have for us today? Yeah. Well, uh, I just, first, Happy New Year to everyone. Happy um, New Year. Happy and, New Year. Uh, we just had that, right, when this drops. And so now I figure it's time for... New Year's resolutions. And I just want to be super encouraging to everyone. Your New Year's resolution should be a hundred days of practice to start <laughs> over a whole year. That's not no. good. That's not enough. Isn't it? No, there are 365 days in a year. A hundred days of practice is not going to do it. That'll work. That's, but it that seems like most a people thing. a year, right? A hundred days of cornet. No, your New Year's resolution oh. should be to start playing cornet every day. Holy crap. Hold on. That should be your new uh, resolution. Hold on. Now, there, I imagine there are lots of people listening right now saying, but I don't own a cornet, Brian. Super easy to get a cornet. You can get one at your local pawn shop. There'll be one at that you can rent from your local um, music store. Super easy. Get it. Start working on it. Um, and uh, you'll be very happy in the change in your sound and technique. Joey plays cornet every day. I, I do. I play cornet every day, and I have you know. two I have two cornets in my office. <laughs> it makes me so happy. <laughs> so, <laughs> yes, I remember the first time we talked cornet, and I said, you know, I play cornet, and Brian looked at me, a little sidelong glance. How on. far could I look down my nose at Joey for cornet here's playing? The, here's the question he asked. This is, what, 15 years ago at this point? Yes. Oh, huh. So um, what, what mouthpiece do you use? <laughs> and I thought, oh, that was... Like Brian's like he's the nicest guy we've ever met. Yeah. And he's there's a there's an edge there. <laughs> yeah. When I started talking cornet. Because yeah. it's said, not a well, real mouthpiece. 
I said, uh, I use I use a WIC three, but you know, if I run into some other stuff, I thought maybe a three V might be going. He goes, Okay. So listen and then went and it was like it was okay. He's like, Okay. Totally in. Oh, he, just that question, what like he let me in the club by giving him the my, the, you gotta the, know. The, cor- the air quotes right answer to the question. Right. Correct. And yeah, see, this is question. this is the kind of thing of our listeners Correct are paying answer. attention, right? You pick that up. If you're not playing a WIC three, you just say you are. That's right. <laughs> yeah. Well, no letters people just might say it. they might say a four, but right. Yeah. So if you want in, yeah. yeah. Oh, that's that's the password. That wow, Brian. So that's a, quite a challenge. Yep. Cornet so just play it every day. day. So you're They'll telling our it. listeners essentially two things: one, if you don't have a cornet, get one. Get one. And then two, play it every day. That's right. Yep. New Year's resolutions. I like that. Yeah. That's not. Yeah. That's not bad. That's pretty good. <laughs> yeah. All right, Joey, what do you have for us today? Well, uh, you know, it, it is the new year, and I, I do want you thinking. So I, I don't know. I, I, I don't like the I like the idea of resolutions, but I don't like the practice of them because I think what most people do is they get really ramped up and then they let it all go. So I want you to think about how you want to end the year. Mm. I want you to think, all right, when, and think about what just happened. We just finished 2021. Mm-hmm. Now, are you happy with the work you did in 2021? Nice. Yes or no, right? So if you're happy with the work you did, great. So I want you to think, I want to now add something to that. So I've got even more at the end of 2022. I don't want to just rest on what I'm doing. I want to keep going. And if you're unhappy with what you did in 2021, then you want to think, okay, why? And then fix that, right? I want you to think, what am I going to do? Okay, I let this go. And, ah, there are times I kind of, and I should have. Okay, that's the shift. So take this as the opportunity to either take the next step or, you know, really fix uh, the problems that you've been having in the past. And it's it's the variation on the on the New Year's resolution, because I, I think like a lot it. of people make all these things. And then two weeks later, they forget all of them and let them go. So <laughs> it is a great time, especially those of us, you know, like the three of us are on an academic calendar. There's the big break. So we're going back into second semester, you know, so we can really go, okay reset ready to go here's what's going here's what i'm going to be doing in addition mm-hmm. to or differently or better or a recommitment to right now is the time to really and write it down if that helps you um some people like to write on actual paper I, i've heard uh, some old guys still like to use real paper old people it's that's the, an it's old the only way thing. to go really yeah <laughs> other than that you can actually you know email this to yourself and so it sits there Leave it unread. So every day you come in and it's unread and you look at it and go, oh, right, I'm doing that. Mm-hmm. All right. Mm-hmm. You check Add your email your every day. Leave yourself yeah. in your own email. So, I mean, that's what I'm thinking. Guys, you have thoughts about this? Oh, yeah, cer- certainly. It's important to James Clear, a guy who wrote Atomic Habits, he says, do habit stacking. So attach the new thing that you're doing to something you're already doing. So I'm already playing long tones. So now I'm already going to do, I'm going to attach triple tone to that. And so you do long tones, and then right away you do triple tone. You just, you just lost Bill. <laughs> no. No. That's right. It's not a thing. No. Nope. Sorry, Bill. I'm no not offense. sure what's happening right now. <laughs> he heard or long you could do tones, slurring. and then he blacked out. And then I blacked out. <laughs> slurring. Something. <laughs> nope. Nope. Yeah. Going to edit that right out. <laughs> <laughs> right out. Exactly. All right. So, well, yeah, I mean, I think but it's a good I, idea. I do love the thing, and I know you're going to laugh at me because I'm using paper to do this, but I take students through this process all the time, making their own calendar, hour by hour. It's this sort of tactile process, 
right? If only they we had some through. sort of digital device that could it's do that really well. It's not the same. It, no, it's better. It's not the same. It, right, nope. it's better. No, it's not better. <laughs> no. <laughs> click, 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 you kids. You kids and you're clicking all that right, stuff Right, but in. here's the thing. You write it down, then you never look at it again. If no. it's on your phone, you see it every day. You look at it, and you take a picture of it, and it goes right into your phone. It's but fascinating the, how it okay, works. Now, That's what that little lens okay, on the no, back is for. Did no, you know now, that? Now I'm furious. If, if you're going to write it down <laughs> just to take a picture, just no. write it down in the phone. No, you're not going to write it down just to take a picture. You're going to write it down to go through the process, because then you move things around, and you can kind of shape your day the way you want, and then you, it's a have process. Have you ever used a digital calendar before? Yeah, I have a digital You can calendar. do all of that. Yeah, it's not the same. No, pencil, you're right. It's not the same. It's better. Pencil and paper. Oh, I want I want people chiming in on this. I think there's people out there who are going to say this. This is the way. There are people out there. Not there is no, people. There is people. No, I have people, and there's out there's. <laughs> now my head hurts. <laughs> All right, Bill, what do you got for us? What do you got for us this morning? Well, I wanted to say, you know, of course, we're into the new year now, but I got to play this great two two gigs on Christmas Eve. And one was with a former student. But the cool thing is that this former student, he studied with me in high school, and then he went on to college, not in music, but he's a surgeon now. Oh, oh wow. nice. And so the conversation was amazing just from the perspective of how much music helped him in his medical study, oh, and right. in particular in the surgical instances how he was he was making all these correlations of course was we, in music we talk about these things all the time but he was literally saying no it really happens for him like you know the idea of this this performance and these things happen and you have to be ready for that but you like your level of preparation and the way you learn things and he was talking about all these parallels and i was just like bam it was just affirming all these things we believed wow and i was like but you know the performance thing is not life or death like what he does every day <laughs> right is yeah. like really life or death but he's bringing into it the things that he learned in his music study and gets back to making music every chance he gets because he finds such a great release in it. That's very cool. That's very cool. I, I, I did not know this growing up, but have seen more and more as I've gotten older. Most places, there's a group of doctors somewhere and they have some sort of band. There, yes. there are a lot of, of music. There are a lot of doctors who are amateur musicians around yeah. the country. It, it's, yeah. it's really sort of amazing. Yeah. Well, this guy, his, his father was also a doctor and still practicing and would bring him for trumpet lessons and was just so devoted to his son having this experience and bought him great horns and, and all this stuff. And uh, yeah, Colin's fantastic. And he still he sounds great. It was a lot of fun to work with him. And hopefully we'll get to, to do that. again. Fabulous. It was what, very nice. Yeah. But the conversation with a former student who's still remembering all these things, but tying it into something as major as being a surgeon is that's pretty remarkable. It's pretty great. That is amazing. It's very it cool. Was a, it was a lot of fun. All right, boys. Uh, we've got a new game tonight. Well, it's actually an old <laughs> oh. game. Old game with a new twist. Uh, oh, no. Yeah. Uh -oh. <laughs> backward bingo. We're back to backward sure. bingo. Yeah. But it's right. the e everyone is from somewhere edition. <laughs> it was dawned on me the other day. You know, mechanics. Does, anyone, does anyone think that someone is from nowhere? Well, it's possible. No, it's not. You just well, you said know, everyone's from somewhere. But so everyone is from somewhere. It's not possible. You're right. Okay. But are cards in our email? Should I be yeah, looking for that? Yeah, you get cards. Get your buzzers out. And Brian, get your horn. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> get to play pedal seas. Yeah. No offense. So, uh, <laughs> no offense, Bill. <laughs> no. Hey, I sent you recordings. Yes. I sent wow, you recordings. I'm on, on the map. On Flugel, sure. Yeah. Now we need to get those on Trump. No, on Flugel <laughs> and on my E flat. My Shire's E flat has the yeah. biggest pedal C in it. 
It's we'll amazing. I want to hear it on B flat trumpet. All right. That'll be next. All but right. Very excited. Get a couple students who can record that for me and send it to you. <laughs> 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 um, anyway, little town of Mechanicsburg here where I live. Brett Michaels is from Mechanicsburg. You know, rock. Sure. The rock. Poison. So I was, yeah, poison. So yeah. talked I was the other day I'm thinking, well, yeah, everyone's from somewhere. And then I got this idea. All famous trumpet players are from somewhere, and I'm going to test your knowledge of where they're from. Oh, holy moly. Now, it's backboard bingo, so, of course, it's multiple choice. Because that's the way bingo works. Yeah. And uh, so That'll we're going to so – I got 10 questions here, oh and I'm gosh. sure the listeners are going to chime in on these, too, because they're just going to be screaming right at their phones. I'm are you ready? I'm here thinking, do I know where any trumpet players are far from? <laughs> no. Well, hey, at least it's multiple guests, right? Sure. Okay. Here we go. Question one. Name the birthplace of the one and only Maynard Ferguson. Oh, okay. Now a, somewhere. A, Ventura, California. B, Verdun, Quebec, Canada. C, Saskatoon, Saskatchewan, Canada. D, Fargo, North Dakota. Okay, I know this one. Brian, do you want to guess first? No, no, go ahead. Go right ahead. I'm, mm-hmm. can't, he's Canadian. It's B. Yeah, this is B. It's, uh, yep. I was going to Yep, yeah. Quebec. Yeah. He's not out from. He's not out in uh, Saskatchewan. Quebec. Yeah, he's wow. from Quebec. Yeah. Yeah, there you go. That one I know. All right. See, yeah. that was easy. That one's good. Actually, started that. with an easy one. <laughs> oh, man. Name the birthplace of the open bell patron saint Anton Weidinger. <laughs> <laughs> A. Berlin. I feel like I'm leaving chance to the wind here. <laughs> <laughs> well, he was a holy man. Yeah. <laughs> good luck with that. A. Berlin. Germany, B, Vienna, Austria, C, Klostenburg, Austria, or D, Paris, France. All right, I went first last time, Ryan. You could take the first guess. I'm going to say Klostenburg. I actually, I was going to guess that as well. Yeah. Both of you say Klostenburg. Yeah. I think Klostenburg. He ended up in yeah. Vienna. Yeah, it would be Vienna. Oh! Damn it! All right. <laughs> it was too easy. It was too. He easy. stayed there his whole life. He never left. So Why would? What he? you're saying is he's like just a uh, home, like not. He's not even regionally famous. He's just a. Local he's, guy, he's like local, 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 local guy, cat. local cat. He's a local cat. We made yeah. him famous. <laughs> yes, but he was yeah, just local did. cat in his life. The local cat, yeah, local yeah. cat, yeah. But rated. Oh yeah, right. Properly rated. Properly rated. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Okay. Number three. Name the birthplace of Satchmo Louis Armstrong. A. Baton Rouge, Louisiana. B. New Orleans, Louisiana. C. Biloxi, Mississippi. Or D, Jefferson, Louisiana. I think he's from New Orleans, right? Brian? Jefferson. I have no idea. Wow. You guess you caught Joey's overthinking disease. He's <laughs> from New Orleans. Yeah. There we go. Yeah. Wow, Brian. All right. I think, Brian, you might be able to make it about, make it up on this one. Maybe. I don't think so. Name the birthplace of trumpet patron Stephen Bale Weinberg. <laughs> Wait a minute. <laughs> this is unfair. <laughs> Hold on. <laughs> Joe, you want to go first? Steven no, Bell I went Weinberg. first last time. You go first on this one. Stephen <laughs> Bell Weinberg <laughs> yeah. has been on the show before, right? And, Joey, you actually got the question right. You know his birth date. You know his birth year. <laughs> yeah, come on. All right, but no, I went first last time. Brian, you go first on this one. All right. <laughs> A, Ann Arbor, Michigan. B, Akron, Ohio. C, Charlton, Massachusetts. Or C, Huntsville, Alabama. This is D, Huntsville. Yeah, Huntsville, Alabama. Yeah, oh, sorry, he's gonna, D. G, yeah, D would be Huntsville. Yeah, actually, I didn't know that. <laughs> are you gonna so. wait? Are you gonna guess, Joey? Is that your guess? That's yeah. your final guess? Yeah. Oh, Akron, Ohio. Akron, Ohio. <laughs> I was born in Huntsville. Right. Ah, uh, there we go. 
in Charlton, Massachusetts is anyone? That's Treehouse Brewing. Okay, oh, number yes, five. <laughs> I've been there. I sent you pictures from there. I know you have. Uh, number five. Name the birthplace of Hold jazz. Hold on a second. Does Steven Weinberg play trumpet? <laughs> no. Uh, no. Did you say the birthplace of trumpet players? No, I said I... backboard bingo. Everyone is from somewhere. But then That's you said I the said. birthplace of trumpet players. Uh, I don't think so. I don't think <laughs> Roll I back the tape. When you when you edit this and put it together and dub in all your double C's, you can check it. Uh, I will definitely be checking that because I think you just put in a non-trumpet player into a trumpet player category. Well, I actually referred to him as a trumpet patron in the question. Yeah, but he's not a trumpet player. <laughs> doesn't matter. He's contributed to this show in a very meaningful way. That doesn't make him a trumpet player. No, it doesn't. I didn't say he was. I said he was a trumpet patron. Right, but you said the category is trumpet player. Category is everyone is from somewhere. All right. Number five. Number five. <laughs> Duets. No, number Before five. After. <laughs> Name the birthplace of jazz trumpet player Freddie Hubbard. A, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. B, Erlanger, Kentucky. C, Horseheads, New York. Or D, Indianapolis, Indiana. That's Indianapolis, Indiana. Brian? Wow. Yeah, soft lob for Joey, of course. Yeah, of course. Well, yeah. I had gave you Stephen Bell Weinberg. So <laughs> yes, I had to give him Freddie Hubbard. Yeah. I wonder if James Moore knew that. Probably not. Yeah, I think I, I think <laughs> probably did. The, the very Reverend Doctor Provost Provost President James Good Moore. James Moore. Yeah. Yeah. do that. Number six. Which of the following trumpet players was not born in Texas? Ooh. Okay. A, Roy Hargrove, B, Kenny Durham, C, Harry James, or D, Hannibal Lukembe. Lukembe. I, I, I don't know who Hannibal Lukembe is. Well, he went to North Texas, so. <laughs> <laughs> all right. All right. Um, so that was hard because I don't know who that person is. I know. Um, so you said the first one. Uh, no. Uh, Brian, you want, do we do we talk these out together or what yeah, are we doing here, Brian? Go for it. I have okay. no idea where okay. these Roy, guys are from. Roy's, at all. Roy's from Texas. Roy's from Texas. Do you Absolutely. know where in Texas? Uh, he's. I did he's from the this. Dallas area, right? He's from we, Waco. Oh, Waco. Yeah, just yeah. close to Dallas. Close right. enough. So Roy's from Texas. Harry James, I'm fairly certain is from. Uh, he's from Texas. Like he, he I'm fairly certain of Harry James. Mm-hmm. Uh, so what was the other one in there? Kenny, Kenny Durham. Durham. Kenny, Kenny Durham. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Is he an East Coast guy? So I'm gonna I'm gonna guess Kenny Durham. Yeah, like Baltimore or something. Is there a reason? Brian, what's jumping out at you? Yeah, Kenny Durham. I would say. Yeah, it's actually Harry James. Oh geez. no, he's from Al- Texas, Albany, Georgia, birthplace. <laughs> so he just grew up in Texas, <laughs> apparently. Oh, we are great crazy. at this game, by the way. You guys are killing this game. Jeez, wow. Mm-hmm. We're doing okay. Mm-hmm. All right, number seven. Where was Cleveland Orchestra principal trumpet Michael Sachs born? Hmm. A, where he's from. I don't know if he was born there. San Francisco. No. B, San Diego, California. Hmm. C, Santa Monica, California. Mm-hmm. Or D, Santa Claus, Alaska. I think he's from Santa Monica. 
Yeah, I was. It's definitely California. I was going to say LA, but Santa Monica sounds better. I think he's from Santa Monica. Santa Monica is right, and I get yeah. nothing for Santa Claus, Alaska. What I dropped that on you last to, week. I'm trying to make up for all of your problems with the Iditarod a week ago. My <laughs> problems. Two weeks ago. You're the one that don't know, doesn't know how to get a dog sled going. Well, no, I make well him turn no. right immediately. No, I think or I left. don't know. I don't remember which one. I don't. I have no I, idea. I doesn't know. <laughs> all right, number eight. Where was the one and only Doc Severinsen born? Okay. All right. Yeah, a. Yeah, wait, I know this. Los Angeles, California. No. B. Helena, Montana. No. C. Arlington, Oregon. No, it's or D. D. Anaheim, California. <laughs> no. No, 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 no. I thought Doc was born in Oklahoma. Brian? Right? Wasn't Doc from Oklahoma? I was going to say Oregon. He's from Oregon. I, oh, look at that. Arlington, Oregon. I threw the Montana thing in because that's a Vizzuti thing, and I yeah, thought that yeah, might throw yeah, you yeah, off yeah, a little bit. But isn't Vizzuti from Missoula, not Helena? Right. Well, yeah. I thought Doc was from Oklahoma. No, it says on the interweb say Arlington, Oregon. I guess maybe he grew up there, but maybe born out in Oregon. That's yeah. weird. Yeah. Number nine, name the birthplace of trumpeter Bill Chase. <sighs> no idea. Um, okay. <laughs> A... I would just want to say, going into this, all of these are real town names. Okay. I just want to say this. I just, I, ahead of time, because I know you're going to think like I'm just messing with you, and I'm just not. making it up. I'm not making it up. A, Squantum, Massachusetts. Okay, that's definitely made up. B, Bitter End, Tennessee. Also made up. C, Booger Hole, West Virginia. You completely made that up. That and, is, There is no way that's real. I'm looking and, that up. You can Real look it up. Place. And D, Ding Dong, Texas. I like Ding Dong, Texas. <laughs> All right, I'm going to... You can look these up. first? You can go first. Oh, it doesn't matter. Okay, so I think if he's really from Texas, he would have been in the other other question. So I'm going to eliminate Texas right out of the list. Yes. Mm-hmm. Booger? Did you say Booger Hole? Booger yeah. Hole, West Virginia. That's just there for the fun of it. No, no, no. There's no way from West Virginia. So now we're down to where? I think he's an East Coast guy, right? Is he Bitter End, Tennessee, or Squantum, Massachusetts? There's no way he's from Tennessee. So I'm going to go, whatever the Massachusetts one in is, that is a made-up city. Why <laughs> Why is not. there no way he's from Tennessee? I, it, it, he doesn't, I mean, I, I've seen him speak, and it does like in old videos, and I just can't imagine that was somebody who grew up in Tennessee. Could have been born there and moved. Yeah, that's true. That's Everyone's true. I'm, st- I'm, gonna, I'm still guessing Massachusetts. Everyone's from somewhere. Everyone's from somewhere. Brian? Oh, I'm going to go with Tennessee. Sure. I won't. Yeah, I... It's Squantum, Massachusetts. <laughs> yeah. That's the right There's answer. no Squantum. That's not a point. That's the name. Did it's... you say, bu- spell Look Booger it up. Hole. Booger Hole, West Virginia. Look it up. <laughs> you could do it right now. That's what I'm, I'm doing. It. Just type it in. You're going to get a map. It's going to be right down in the center of the state. Holy crap. I told you. <laughs> Unincorpor- unincorporated community in northern Clay County. Wow. <laughs> There's, there's Booger Hole, West Virginia. Where are you from, Booger Hole? <laughs> wow. <laughs> the murderous history of Booger Hole. I'm going to oh, deer drool like that. She's yeah. a good murder. Yeah. Good. How, about right. Ding, how about Ding Dong, Texas? You ever I like been there? Ding Dong. No, I've never heard of it. I like there it. you go. All right, number 10. Name the birthplace of Adolph Bud Herseth. A, Grand Lake, Colorado. B, Lake Park, Minnesota. C, Lake Geneva, Wisconsin, or D, Lakeland, Florida. I went with sort of a lake theme there. There's a lake theme there. Mm-hmm. Say those again, please. Yeah. 
A, Grand Lake, Colorado. B, Lake Park, Minnesota. C, Lake Geneva, Wisconsin. And D, Lakeland, Florida. Okay, I don't think he's from Florida. I think that's right out. That's right out. And Colorado's out. out, too. I think Colorado's out, too. So I think we're between Minnesota and Wisconsin. And if he were a cheesehead, I think we'd, we'd, we'd have heard about that more. Yeah. I'm going, with, I'm going with the uh, land of 10,000 lakes, Minnesota. Yeah, definitely going with Minnesota. And you would be right. Wow. Oh, well, right. well done. There it Saved is. at the end. The process of painful eliminations. <laughs> <laughs> Lake Park, Minnesota is the answer. Wow. And it wasn't so bad, was it? Oh, no, that's pretty yeah, good. we're and awesome we at that. We all learned some things tonight. We learned where these people are from, and we learned about Booger Hole, West Virginia. That you know, Scott's in West amazing. Virginia. I'll bet he knows where Booger Hole is. I I bet he's got a summer home there. He's run through there before. He probably has. That's why I run so fast. Yeah. <laughs> Get out of Booger Hole. All right, boys. Time for a couple things. So this might be the most popular topic among trumpet players, like ever. We've all been in that master class or simply just in a conversation with another trumpet player when the inevitable question is asked, hey, what mouthpiece are you playing on? <laughs> the mouthpiece is a very important part of the equation. So let's talk about selecting the right mouthpiece and the things that guide that decision for us as we try to help students and prescribe equipment for people. It's on, boys. All right. What mouthpiece should we play? Can I tell you one good funny mouthpiece story from that Please. question? Yeah. Now, I... I'm not the only person who's had this experience, but I did have it and, and, and enjoyed it so much. Um, we remember Lou Soloff for the younger generation. Uh, Lou was a tremendous jazz and lead and studio player in New York City forever. He passed player. away forever. And he yeah. was great. Now, the the he was a quirky guy by those who knew him, and that's probably an understatement for those who sat next to him. But he had a, a lot of mouthpieces. So, like the first time I ever saw Lou in person, he had, he had gone to Eastman. So he came back to Eastman while I was a student there, and he was playing with one of the jazz bands. So we were in a master class, and he's playing, and I'm watching, and it seems like every rest he is pulling one out, putting one in, putting out, just switching mouthpieces nonstop. <laughs> so he gets through, and he gives a little talks about this and talks about uh, anybody have any questions? And it's kind of you know that master class, totally quiet. So I raise my hand. Uh, yeah. Uh, um, so how many mouthpieces do you have on you right now? And not like, man, the room was like, oh. <laughs> but right. I didn't say it in a, in a, I mean, I was, I really wanted to know. <laughs> wow. So he goes here and he reaches in his pockets and he kind of, he's counting up, like kind of going through what he's holding on him. He goes, <laughs> um, six. And I said, okay, well, um, so can you take me through like, uh, I'm watching you switch, like what you're doing there, what they're for? He goes, yeah. Okay. So this one, and he had it dialed in. Like if I'm playing ahead, I want to do this. If I'm just with the rhythm section, I want to do this. If I'm playing over the top of the band, I want to do this. And he had it like he knew what he wanted to be doing. Wow. Which I found fascinating. So fast forward now, what, 10 years, and I'm on Maynard's band, and we are playing in D.C. in Jazz Alley, Blues Alley, right? Yeah. Blues Alley. Uh, now, um, Lou was on tour, I think with Barbara Streisand at the time, and they were in D.C., <laughs> and, and Lou and Maynard, of course, have known each other forever. So he comes out. So the first night he comes out, he's just watching. And we did this one tune uh, that starts almost like a little brass choir thing. The last tune of the set starts like this little brass choir, and then it's just chaos. So it's just like screaming. <laughs> you know, my part's like up on high G's all the way out. Maynard's just going crazy all the way out. It's really it's a great way to end the set. So the set ends, 
and you know, uh, I'm like putting my stuff down because we have like an hour break and we're gonna play another set. And Lou Soloff is standing right next to me. And now I don't know him. I know who he is, obviously, and he doesn't know me. And he says, "Hi, um, I, can I ask you a quick question?" <laughs> yeah, of course. Hi, I'm Joey. It's nice to meet you. He goes, "Yeah, yeah, yeah, yeah." Um, so that last tune, the part at the beginning, the little last, the quiet part there, like, what mouthpiece were you using for that? <sighs> and here's the thing: I used one mouthpiece. For everything. For the whole set. Like I just, I, <laughs> right. And I just picked my horn up. I said, I mean, this is the mouthpiece I use. This is my mouthpiece. <laughs> right. And so he pulled it out, looks at it, like kind of puts it up to his face, kind of feels it, goes, like, okay, great, thanks. And he was gone. Like I turned around <laughs> and it was like he vanished in front of me. There was no real, I'm like, oh, I'm hanging with Luke. No, no, no. He's, that's, nope, he he's got gone. his information. He's out. <laughs> You're lucky he didn't just take the mouthpiece and run. <laughs> but it was great. I was like, this is fantastic. And, and, you're, and you're like, you're what, blowing lead on a 1B. Right. No, <laughs> not no. Although that's a separate story we could tell later. <laughs> right. So wow. th- this is it is a question that happens all of the time. You know where right. you want to know what people are playing and you want to check it out. And the the short answer is is what other people are playing may have no relationship to what you should be playing. Yeah. Right. Sure. Right. Of we course. can start there. The- so I, I thought about this as we were you know, preparing to do this tonight, and I thought, we're going to start with those things that we're looking for in a mouthpiece, right? But, but what I'm amazed by is the amount of people who don't really understand what all the parts do. So how about, are you opposed oh. to this? No, let's Can go. we start here? Because I, I think where I want to start is to say this. Let's break this down and say parts of the mouthpiece, right, and right, the impact now, it has on the playing. Do you think that there are four or five? Well, I have five. See, I have four. Uh, but I also separate out backbore and shank. No. So <laughs> I go. Then you don't have five. You so have, have four. So I have four. So Bill's doing it wrong. Rim, and then I have got cup, and then yeah. throat, and then backbore. Right. Now, one of, one of the people that I teach with here, and he teaches our brass lit class, teaches, uh, he teaches the bite, you know, rim into the cup. He teaches yeah. that part, and I'm like, no, that's that's just, just part, of, part the of the rim. Right. That's part of the rim. Right. Part of it's just part of the rim, and it's a variable, but it's the rim variable. And the only reason I add shank is because there are certain things, like a like for example, a Yamaha flugelhorn requires a Yamaha shank. But see, now you're getting into Brian's whole play a cornet mouthpiece on the say, trumpet, yeah, or or a cornet adapter. But yeah. no, in terms of the mouthpiece itself, four parts. So let's start at the, let's start with rim, and what you think, what you're looking for in that, and and what. You know, what, what rim size or rim contour? Um, they're related. Yeah, go for it. Yeah, because so in my opinion, the rim is it's the way you contact the mouthpiece, and I think it affects articulation, flexibility, and comfort. Yeah, I would agree with that. And also, um, Peter Pickett says that the the bite affects your perception of how wide and how um, the mouthpiece yeah. itself well, is. Not only how wide, but how deep the cup is. Yeah. You're going to, that, but that's part of the comfort factor. Yeah. That sure. bite that, which is Bill talked about. The, the, the biggest part of uh, the rim, this is where, this is exa- what Bill just said. This is how you make contact with the mouthpiece. This right. is what exactly. you feel. This is what right. the mouthpiece feels like to you. Now, mm-hmm. yeah. And some rims are flatter, some are narrow, some are wider. And some, that high point on the rim is in a different place. Right. Like Peter's mm-hmm. mouthpieces to me, feels very soft yeah right that's a word that i use 
mm-hmm. because of where the high spot is compared to a Bach mouthpiece, which doesn't feel quite as soft on the chops. And even Peter's, like the cornet rim is pretty narrow, but it still feels very comfortable and soft in a way that a wick rim that's wider feels kind of angular to me. Right. And this is where, uh-huh. like, uh, when Carl Hammond was still at Shilke, he started those M series. Is that what they were called? Yeah. And I said, okay. oh, look at that. Because I've never been comfortable with Shilke rims. And uh-huh. then I tried these and went, oh, well, these are much more comfortable. I'm, I can play these and feel comfortable. And so when Carl went on his own, I went up to see him. I'm like, oh, see, this yeah. guy knows what he's doing. Um, yeah. Because there, there is a, a, you know, you need to be able to, all other things being equal, you need to be able to make a great sound. And all, you know, that's always primary. But at the same right. time, you do want to have physical comfort in playing the mouthpiece. Yes. Yep. If, you, if you're making yourself physically uncomfortable in playing the mouthpiece, that's the wrong mouthpiece for you, even if everyone else <laughs> tells you it's the it, this is the magic right. you know, bullet. Yeah, right. because a, so a wider rim can give you more comfort, but could impede flexibility. And, well, and range. And mm-hmm. range. and But a more narrow rim might be more flexible for you, but, but you know, you might have more flexibility, but it'll cut down on comfort and endurance... Yeah, and it's not, cut down endurance. Yeah. And also yeah. on sound. Right. Yeah, yeah, because you don't, right, because of the way you in, interface with it, mm-hmm. yeah, the way you connect to it. So those that's those are important considerations. If you're working with a student, you want to ask them if it's comfortable, and then you want to listen in on those particular elements. How do mm-hmm. they articulate? How do they slur? What, what is the sound like on the, with that particular rim? Uh, let's talk about the word bite for just a minute, because that's a significant, people use that word all the time in terms of the mouthpiece. And that's Joey. You're saying where it connects to the cup, right? This is for where the mm-hmm. where the rim turns into the cup, which can be extremely rounded. It could be extremely sharp. It could be you know a ninety degree angle, and it can be completely rounded in, so that it almost feels, you know, like that rim. There is no rim at all. It's just no like straight. Yeah. It's straight in. So uh, and everything in between, and that's again can be a real. Uh, it's a real personal preference and comfort issue. There are people who like that very sharp, meaning a, a, a big a sharp designation between rim and cup and people who mm-hmm. want it to be almost seamless. Um, and there's no right or wrong here, but boy, different mouthpiece makers make these in very different ways. Yeah, so if you grew up playing Bach, you're used to a little more bite because it's a more defined uh, transition. Right. But the Shilky stuff or the Yamaha cups and those things, which the Yamaha, I think, kind of follows Shilky, that follows that right. way of thought. Those tend to be a little smoother and there's less bite to them. Uh, so you feel that little bit smoother transition. Yeah. Uh, okay. So so that kind of that there sort of sets the groundwork there for rim. Now, in terms of cup or some people refer to it as the bowl, mm-hmm. this, in my opinion, impacts tone and depth of sound, uh, but can also impact range. Oh, hugely impacts sure. you know, sound and sound yeah, sound and range. Absolutely. So and they're different shape cups. So it's not just about size. It's not mm-hmm. just about, well, is this deeper or wider? Uh, but is this uh more of a bowl shape or more of a V shape? Or, you know, there's the old uh Parduba double cup shape yeah. which comes down and then there's another <laughs> ridge inside the cup to create another yeah. cup you know that a lot of commercial players used to swear by those uh, yeah. seem to have fallen out of fashion although I, I've tried them and <laughs> they work yeah it does um, work yeah but the, so you want to find you know if, if if you're finding that you try and play uh this is the the you know definitely want to get to low and high the lower and higher parts of your register and if you find that it cuts out 
then generally speaking, that that cu- that cup is probably a little small for you, mm-hmm. right? If it, if mm-hmm. your sound cuts off, that means yeah. your lips are not vibrating enough inside of there, right? But mm-hmm. but if you're getting if you're not able to get your full clear vibrant bright sound coming out, that cup might be too big for you. Yeah. Right? So this, yeah, this is where I think we'll we'll come back around to this this idea of troubleshooting, right? So yeah. you hear a student on a mouthpiece. Now you know with some of this background, oh, that particular issue is usually related to this particular part of the mouthpiece, right? So that, that yeah. that'll be cool. But yeah, just in general, that's what the cup impacts. Uh, now let's talk about the throat, or as some people refer to it as the hole, right? As <laughs> right. The, the throat is literally the opening at the bottom of the cup. Right. Just that opening. And, and these are, they have historically been measured in drill bit sizes. Right. right. Which is why they'll say like, well, you know, what is that? Oh, it's a, you know, standard is a 24. And they're like, well, what does 24 mean? Is it 24? It's a, a drill bit 24. It's 24 thousandths of an inch. You know, yeah. uh, it really it has been that simple. So there are other people that have made varieties of what they call those. But that's always, that's been sort of a industry standard for decades. And for me, the throat choice, whether you're going to go from the 27, which tends to be more standard to a 26 or 25 or 24, whatever it happens to be, you know, whatever, whatever it takes, and I'm mm-hmm. out. Um, <laughs> sound, response, color, right? The purpose of the mouthpiece sometimes, too. Like if you're, if this is a mouthpiece that you're having specially made because you have to do a lot, it's going to be your commercial mouthpiece, you might go with a smaller throat to get a different color, brightness of sound, or whatever. Well, I, we may be getting our he- ahead of ourselves. Sure. But- uh, when I was growing up, what I heard from lead players is, "Here's what you do: you get a you get a really small cup and a really wide open throat." And right. so, I, I, and that was very common, and still is common for a lot of lead players today. And they sound great. So I tried this, and I got this really small cup, and I would go, and my I would bottom out and couldn't make any sound at all. So we're going to get to this because we have one more thing to talk about, but it's finding the right balance of all four of these things. Yes. Because if you overdo any one of them, it'll just shut you right down. Mm-hmm. So you got to find the right balance. It, like Because all, all of these things can affect sound. So you're thinking, well, and there are trumpet players that say this, we'll just make get the biggest and you know, get a 1X and open right. it up, and then you should be good. And very few people are suited to play something that large in all four categories. Right. <laughs> and on the same same way, when people say like, "Well, you know, I'll just get that Marcinkowitz, uh, you know, Eric uh, Eric Mayshear or or Bobby Shue one, which is very small in all four categories." Mm-hmm. You know, and, and right. then, you know, mm-hmm. very few people now. Then you hear Bobby played uh, on, when he was playing on that. Well, I don't know. He sounded great, but very <laughs> few people are set up to play small all four of those categories. So it's right. finding the right balance of all of those things. But I do think the most important thing throat effects is response. Mm. I think that that is, that is where if that, if that throat is too tight for you, you're going to find yourself trying to tongue way too hard, no offense to you personally, Bill, um, to just get <laughs> anything to come out. Never and if an it's issue. way too open, you're going to start, and it's just going to go, and there's going to be no yep. center or focus to the beginnings of your notes. I mm-hmm. think that's where the throat really plays a huge role is in response. Well, and so then let's go ahead and on and talk about the next part then, which is backbore, because these two things work together yes. pretty well. But the backbore shape can have a huge impact on response too, but but primarily I think on sound. Right, but Co- backbore, just sound. to make sure we're, we're making our, our good definitions, mm-hmm. backbore is the opening of the throat into the, the, the shank of the mouthpiece, the mm-hmm. shape of that opening. The, yeah, and it's shape. 
Yeah. Right, because you can do yeah. it in a variety of ways. You can open it up very quickly. You can open it up slowly. You can open, you know, in steps all the way out. I mean, there are a, a variety of ways of trying to uh, how to deal with these backbores. And you know, mouthpiece makers have been messing around with these things forever. Sure. But yeah, this is then this is where I think where we're talking about color. You know, the kind of sound you get out of there. Mm-hmm. Sure. Oh wow, yeah, that yeah. that that uh, backbore makes an enormous difference there. Yeah. I think about what Peter Pickett has done with the standard backboards compared to his 10 series backboards, for example, which are mm-hmm. a completely different game altogether. Um, and that's just the shape of that, what's going on on the inside of that. Right, absolutely. That so knowing then that those are the parts, now we're going to, if it's okay, then we've kind of laid the groundwork there. That's the way we're thinking about the parts of the mouthpiece. Now let's go back and talk about those things that we're looking for, that we're listening for when someone's playing, right? Their overall sound. Their comfort with the with the mouthpiece, that how easy it is for them to play, their articulation, flexibility, range. Mm-hmm. What else? I mean, those those are the categories. Maybe we can dig on those a little bit. Well, yeah, and this is this is where it gets hard because we've talked about this when we're like, hey, when to go buy a new horn, which is the same time to go buy a new mouthpiece, which is not when you're in trouble, but when okay, I'm working and I'm practicing and I keep running up against these same problems. So I'll tell you, this was my story, right? So I'm in my undergrad, and one of my weaknesses showing up at college is low register, right? So I'm practicing, I'm working hard, and I'm playing a Bach 3C like everyone in the 80s was. Mm -hmm. And and at one point, you know, Barbara says, well, let's take a look at this. And so we had some things to try out. She goes, try this, try this, try this, try this. And then suddenly, boom, the low register just opens, centered, free. I can play, and Mm -hmm. it works. She said, huh, okay, well, can you still play high on that? I'm like, I don't know. Let's say, boom, everything's still fine. She's like, okay, you should probably order one of these. And for me, that was a Bach 1B uh-huh. opened up, mm-hmm. yeah. which is close yeah. to what I play now. I play something, I mean, uh, Carl Hammond, when I went to years later, because as you, you get older and you evolve and you're looking for slight variations. So what I play, uh, Carl Hammond makes a 2L, which is very similar to a 1B, and he opens that up a little bit for me uh, at the throat and on the back bore. And for me... Boom. It's great. Yeah. Now, that's that's what I use for non-lead playing. That's kind of my daily sort of thing. So, But things were working, but I was running up against, huh, man, that low register, no matter what I'm doing, is just not working. Well, it's possible what I was playing on was just too small and wasn't yeah, like allowing did, that to happen. You didn't have room. Right. So yeah. we found the room. Just open, open, open. There we go. You know, so you want to, you know, that's what you're, and, and I've had students go the opposite direction. One of my current students, uh, she, she spent her first year and a half, like, really struggling even to play up to about a high C. And she's getting there and getting there. I'm like, huh. And she's playing a 3C. I said, why don't we go try something a little bit smaller than that? And then, boom. Mm-hmm. Tonguing high Ds. There you go. I've had the same thing happen, the same result happen from going the other direction. Mm-hmm. So a student playing a playing a 5C or a 3C, and you move them up to a 3 or 1.5 where they have room, and all of a sudden it opens up. Right, the sure's fine, they yeah. Could, yeah, you know, but it was just that it just was so crowded in there they couldn't do it. Yeah. You know. Um, so sound, obviously, we're, we're always after that as being the most important thing. Um, when you hear a player that's got, uh, you know, the sound like we're talking about, maybe the sound is a little bit stuffy, um, it's not as clear as you want it to be, um, there's arguments for going both ways, right? right? You might try something smaller. You might try something bigger. What kind of guides you in that decision? I have and, a, um, yeah, I think sound is, 
is the primary thing. And I think it's a window into um, your technique and your interface with the instrument and the mouthpiece. So the sound tells you that things are functioning well or not functioning well. And then you go through your checklist of how to, how to adjust those things. Um, another thing that I think is important is the size of your lips. And I think, here's my theory, um, that people with large, thick lips, um, in general, not always, but in general, um, would benefit from playing with, for a, with a wider dia inner diameter of the mouthpiece to give them more room. Um, and it will especially affect their sound from like tuning note C down to low F sharp. Um, and I think that people who have thin lips can get away with playing a whole range of different diameters, wide and narrow, with no discernible impact on their quality of sound. Um, they can, you know, it's what they feel comfortable on. But if you have thin lips, you can play a pretty narrow mouthpiece, but you can also get away with playing a large mouthpiece. Um, and so I'm, I'm willing to... I'm willing to change a student to a larger mouthpiece first if they have really thick lips. Um, although there's, you know, students who can, with thick lips can play narrower stuff as well. I've had some students do that. But looking at the quality of the sound. So the thing I hear is fuzz in the sound or a tension in the sound or a dullness in the sound. They don't get that. It's just not a very clear sound. Hmm. Um, and this, of course... None of this matters if the student is not practicing a lot. Right. So you have to be playing a lot. Like mouthpieces, for me, I mean, you guys have done a lot of extra work on getting dialing your mouthpiece exactly the way you want it. You know, rim contour, cup depth, throat, backbore. Um, I play a very, well, I play a very sort of straight ahead mouthpiece. And I didn't, I mean, I went to Peter's shop, but I went with a specific goal in mind. Um, and that was to get him to copy the Mount Vernon 1C, 1.5C I had in my bag, which he did do uh, outside and inside. So I, I have Peter, Peter's copy of that. And that's what I play. Um, but I think um, if a student's not, or a professional or an amateur, if you're not playing a bunch, you know, the mouthpiece is not the answer, right? It's not the panacea. And man, I would rather spend my money on um, pizza and beer than a than a mouthpiece quest, right? And I've spent hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of dollars, just like everybody else, looking for a mouthpiece that I thought would would change. But just changing my technique and changing what I'm practicing really helped. Yeah. Well, right, of course. Yeah. yeah, the practice has got to be part of it. But the mouthpiece does make a huge difference. Oh, yeah. You know, if you're really working, the mouthpiece can get you to that next level that you're running up at when, when you run up against a wall right? and you're like, okay, I'm doing everything I'm supposed to be doing. And this is why it's, <laughs> it's again, an art, not a science. Yeah. You know, it's yeah. not like, okay, well, if I just do this, cause everything you guys have just said are good guidelines for which there are always lots of exceptions. Cause sure. I know people are listening going, Hey man, but I have thick lips and I play a tiny mouthpiece or yeah. I have tiny, sure. uh, you know, there, because there is no one way. It, which gets me back to, especially when you talk, uh, when we start talking about mouthpieces for playing commercial and playing lead, you know, because what I always heard was you got to get something really small and then, you know, open it up. And, and it, this did not work for me at all. Right. 
you know, yeah. because a lot of people play with their lips in the mouthpiece, and then there are a lot of people who play with their lips almost pulled back out of the right. mouthpiece. So if you're playing where you're ro- kind of ro- you know, you, the way you play is kind of to roll your lips in a little bit, then you can play really, really small stuff no matter what your lips look like. But that's <laughs> right. not how I play. I'm playing with my lips in the mouthpiece. So as soon as I get something shallow, boom, I'm bottoming out. I got no shot. So the, what I play lead on, I remember playing a gig with a good friend of mine in Chicago. who He was joking like, oh, Easter's coming. I got to get my legit, pe- out, legit piece out because <laughs> he really made his living as a commercial lead treble player. And it's like, okay, I got to take and he said, And I said, what is your legit piece and he pulls it out and shows it to me it's the exact mouthpiece i was playing lead on at that moment <laughs> and i just mm-hmm. laughed I, I turned my horn around and he goes wait a minute what <laughs> yeah so he seemed a little surprised because well, what I he played a... lead on was for me so small i couldn't get my lips in yeah, it wouldn't, this would is a true work. story okay yeah. name drop time uh you guys know teddy Millette who played uh, trombone in no. the miami sound machine no Right. So Teddy started a band when I was living in Miami. He wanted to start his own band. So the trumpets and the trumpet players were, it was me and Roger Ingram who were both in town at the time. <laughs> so Roger and I were just getting to know each other. And Roger said, Hey, man, like, let me try that mouthpiece of yours. It's kind of funny. I said, Okay. So we just switched mouthpieces. And he was playing lead. <laughs> I was playing second. And we had this thing that started like up on high G's in his part and high D's in my part. Right. And so we, we start the tune and you hear him going like, and out of my horn here. <laughs> like just his, <laughs> he's falling through and my locked up. And so we both just started laughing, hand and mouth pieces back and forth. And Teddy's like, guys, everything. Yeah, we're fine. We're fine. We're fine. We're fine. Yeah. Just go ahead and start that over again. <laughs> Neither one of us could make a good sound at all worked. on the other's mouthpiece. Yeah. Cause right. what he was playing is much smaller. And what I was, which for him was exactly what he was playing on. Sound like great on. And mine actually has a, a cup in there, you know, and he's going, boy, how do you play high in that at all? Right. You know, so there, so there, there. It, this is. There's not only one way to go at it, and that's the hard part of doing this. Which is why working with a working with a teacher, working with good mouthpiece makers, like we've mentioned here, like you know, we know Peter well, we know Carl well. Mm-hmm. These are people that if you go in and make an appointment and have and get into their shop and say, here's, here's what I'm up against, and here's what I'm playing now, they can help. Yeah, they can really sure. help. They yeah. know what they're doing. And they translate. You don't need to be able to speak mouthpiece to talk like to Joey. those guys. Right. In fact, I mean, in some ways, you better. shouldn't. It's, it's better. better if you, you say, because I talk mouthpiece. And when I go in to talk to Carl, and uh, I've sat down and said, okay, listen, I can do this, and I can do this, but I can't do this, and I can't do this, and I think I, I, I should be able to get to here. And he's like, huh, okay, let me see. Boom, boom, boom. Try this. Right. Because yeah. I'm not saying, hey, perhaps we should work on the opening of the backboard. No, no, no. no I, leave I, that I, to no, them. I, yeah. I can speak that language, but I am not an expert in that language. Yeah. They are. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So we, we, we've made some generalizations before on the show. We've talked about, um, you know, so start beginning kids on like a 5B. We were on board with that. And then we yeah. talked about, you know, as, as they get a little older, the 3C and then maybe the more advanced players, the one and a half and all that. So I think those are good starting places. But one thing I want to be sure we cover, and I, Joey, you just kind of mentioned this, that it, you know, if a student is practicing, like diligently practicing, and they're going after it, and they're limited, it's they can't play higher, they can't slur faster, the tone isn't growing the way you want it to. The, they just, yeah, their flexibility gets locked up. Right. Yeah, those sure. are those are warning signs. Yep. So if absolutely. you're if you're a teacher that even you don't know a lot about it, you know the students practicing, you can hear them practicing, but you hear them bumping into these brick walls all over the place. That's a sign. Yep, that there should be a mouthpiece change. Absolutely. No, I mean then, I've had student after student in their freshman year say, "So do I need a new mouthpiece?" And I'm like, "I don't know yet." 
Yeah, I don't right. know. It takes a while. Well enough. Yeah, it takes a while. You know, I've heard you play for you know for three months. It's it's kind of hard to tell. I, mm-hmm. I don't know how much is how much is you and how much we're how much we're working <laughs> yeah. through and how much <laughs> yeah. might be equipment. Yeah. And wasn't uh, it difficult over COVID over the internet yeah. to discern? I had a student oh, this fall. He was like, "Oh, I wish we'd discovered this last year." And I was like, "Me too," but I really couldn't tell. Right. Right. Through the computer. Yeah, the, we we all missed out on that opportunity to be there and kind of catch the nuance of what was going on yeah. in the sound, yeah. and because that's so important, you know. Um, another one, and we have kind of mentioned this, but I think it's worth repeating: if there's limitations in range, both high and low. Oh yeah, right. Yeah, I mean that that's another thing to look out for, and um, and another reason might might be worth it to try something a little bit different. And and when we say low, we mean all the way to low F sharp. Right. We don't mean just down to low A. I don't know how many times I've worked with students. And low it's that A? Low that I, they get down to low A, and then the A flat, G, and, and F sharp sound completely different. I'm like, huh, <laughs> what's going on there? I don't know. It's always like that. <laughs> but they don't if, practice but those the like the back of the Clark book? Well, yeah. But if, if you play first in your high school band, right, you don't have how to often is that there. demanded of you? Right, right. I will tell you, when I auditioned for college, I never played anything below low C. Sure. <laughs> right. Yeah, wow, why would I bother? Why right, would I right. show any weaknesses? Don't show that. <laughs> right. It's so the there. Stuff. Yeah. But exactly. yeah, you make sure you're wow. covering entire range of the horn. That matters. Yeah. You know, I was in a master class with, with um John Faddis once and uh, somebody asked that question, what what mouthpiece do you use? <laughs> and <laughs> and he said uh, he looks over, he said, I don't know, what are you playing? And the guy said a one and a half C and he said, Let me see that. And he handed it over and he played a, I mean, like inches from the guy's head, a blistering G. He goes, I don't think it matters. Right. Right. Which, okay. To be, to be fair, might not matter a lot, but I don't think John would choose to play one and a half C on his own gigs. No, right. he wouldn't. So it does matter. Now, yeah. can he play a double C on a one? I, I'm sure yes. that he can, <laughs> yes, can, he can. Yeah. but he's yeah. not going to choose to make his job on that. Right. <laughs> You know, yeah. so I mean, then people. This is the other hard part. You can drive yourself crazy, because it's the same thing with with horns. Like any equipment is okay. Well, this is good, but is there something better? Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. This is where you can drive oh, yourself man. nuts. Like, well, okay, well, this is okay. Well, I, I found this new mouthpiece. Like, I went and saw Carl Hammond, and I found this new mouthpiece, and now this is better, and this is better, and this is better. Well. Maybe there's something even better than this. Right. <laughs> and you have to say this, too, with a, with a new mouthpiece or mouthpiece change, there is this honeymoon period, too, right? Like, it it works beautifully for a little while, and then things start to get crazy. And this is and, the hard part about going to a conference or something and picking a mouthpiece up off the table in the days we could do that and try and go, yeah, this is the answer. You know, in a big, in a strange place, in a big room you don't normally play in, and it feels great, and then you get it home, and, like, three days later you're like, I wasted $150 on this. Right. You have to remember that you're still you. Yeah. No matter what. (laughs) Right. That part's not changing. Right. So, yeah, this is why we're talking about running up against walls, running up against things that these mouthpiece can be a way to help. But it's not going to take the place of any kind of practice and it's not going to take and it's not going to, for lack of a better term, fix you. Yeah. Right. It's it can (laughs) be it's going to be a better tool for accessing all of those things you want to be able to do. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, I think for the folks out there, uh, of course, we're always we're, we're talking to a, a bunch of different audience members. We've got college professors that kind of follow us and college students that follow us. But we also have some high school band directors. Mm-hmm. 
who may be just a little bit fearful about all this stuff, which is why I wanted to lay out the different parts of the mouthpiece and all that. But initially, I just want to say, you know, trust your intuition on this. You can tell, you know, when a student has been working and you know when you hear different limitations, you know if the sound isn't quite as clear as it needs to be. And it's it's okay to experiment with this. It's okay to to figure out what mouthpiece you're playing and then have some things on hand to try to move it in one direction or another. It's okay to do that. Yeah. And if your student's used to some feel on the mouthpiece, like rim, a certain rim on a certain manufacturer, then bumping them off of that is going to make them even more uncomfortable. Just work with what they have and get them something that's a slightly different size as a, as a first way to go. I have a student who loves Shilky rims. Um, and it was clear that um, playing the 14A, 4A that he had was uh, not the thing he should continue on to play second trumpet in the orchestra and um and so <laughs> most of the time that is very yeah. true mm -hmm. um so so we um I, I said you know i have i have bach mouthpieces and i said try he's like i don't like the rim and i was like i totally get that he said the i said the the uh the shogi equivalent is this and so he ordered that and sounds i mean the sound changed immediately flexibility improved much easier for him to play and so right. he, that's what he's that's what he's doing um and you have to be I don't know. Don't teachers get super dogmatic about the, the equipment that their students some, play too? And I, some can. I think that's. Yeah. I do think a lot of that's fallen away, which I like. Uh, I, yeah. You know, there are some stories of uh, the generation older than us, like almost Bill's age kind of guys, there that it is. were like, <laughs> if you're if you're in my studio, you will play this mouthpiece and this horn. And I think that's most of that. I think most of that's gone, which is much for the better. Yeah. You know, right. the idea that uh, you have to play what I play or what I think. Uh, everyone right. should play is just a terrible idea for pedagogically speaking. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Encourage um, them, enrich them. Yeah. Well, uh, Peter has, has made a couple of mouthpieces for me back in the day that were Bach rims on top of his cups. Right. Cause that's just what I, you know, he had copied like an old Mount Vernon, something mm -hmm. that I had, you know, and so, yeah, it's possible to, to mix it up like that. How do you guys feel about these other materials? Right. These guys are making, whether oh. it's, you know, well, nylon this is, or... This has been a game changer for people with that metal allergies. Right. It's, oh, sure. I mean, it's really amazing. Now, I, I've tried, uh, you know, for some cold weather stuff, like having a plastic rim or a plastic mouthpiece is just a great idea. Why would you want something <laughs> that's going to stick to your face? Because it's metal and it's cold outside. Mm -hmm. uh, that being said, for me... Uh, I have I've always stuck with metal. I, I like the sound of it better, and it and it's very comfortable for me. Right. But like uh, some of those materials on the rims for people that have a metal, a metal allergy allows them to keep playing. Where these are people who right. may have had to quit. It's just a great idea. Yeah. Yeah. I have on my on my desk here um, the Tony Plogues um, recital um, program from December fourteenth, nineteen eighty seven. I mean, it's a crazy crazy program um but he played on a bush wooden mouthpiece mm. and it was such a sweet wow. sound i mean he sounded sweet on whatever he played but it was such a sweet sound uh, but he that's what he played the program on yeah nice yeah 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 i remember when those were kind of in in style yeah i mean i hate playing in the cold so that <laughs> stuff that's that could be a lifesaver for someone like me and too bad sure. you live in pennsylvania i know i don't like to play in the cold very much anymore <laughs> On these days. Well, hopefully these are some things that uh, kind of let let folks know what we're listening for when we somebody comes in and they, you know, we don't know they're playing all that well. They're a new student or we it's a student we do know well and some things are going 
differently than we want. These are some of the things that we listen for, and this is our knowledge of the mouthpiece construction that hopefully kind of helps you put that together. All right, boys, time for No Offense. Listen, if you're settling for that 7C that was put in the trumpet case as a placeholder, Here you're we doing go. it wrong. <laughs> you knew I was going to get there on this episode, right? <laughs> put some thought into the right mouthpiece for you. Do some research, get with a teacher, play for someone who knows, and get yourself the right gear. And while you're at it, might as well educate yourself about the equipment. It is fun to go digging on this stuff, isn't it? It's yes. Really, it's really fun. I, I will mean, tell you, Bill, that yeah. on this year's um, trumpet class final exams, written final exam, seven of the eight students correctly stated 5b in their answer well nice done. work that's well just done. good that's just good teaching right there there we go yeah. what uh, yeah, this is it is really fun and but you want to think about this if you look around at professionals there are patterns if you look at sure. the world of orchestral professionals brass band professionals uh you know um, concert band professionals like in the military bands and commercial professionals you do not see a lot of seven C's out there. <laughs> right. So that might tell you something that this is not a mouthpiece that mo that many people make their living playing. Yeah. Yeah. Just that simple, right? Pe people make the analogy like, so did you play soccer as a kid? Yeah. You remember the first pair of cleats you had? Yeah. You still have those? Well, I don't know. Somewhere. <laughs> well, why aren't you wearing them? <laughs> yeah. No, you do you, you do grow out of these things, whether you grow out of it physically because you're just a, a bigger person and you don't have a there's not enough room for you to put your chops or you grow out of it musically. I mean, you yeah. just, you know, can't it's not a piece of equipment on which you can make the sound that you want to make. So, you know, right. Uh, yeah. Dig in and do it right. Well, listen, that should about do it for today. Stay tuned. Tell your friends and neighbors and get to know your mouthpiece. So long for now. Remember to keep an open mind, but more importantly, an open bell. <laughs>